0: All right, uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. All right, here in Ephesians 4, we are we're going to answer a very important question of how does biblical church growth come? And we're going to see God's plan for this church growth here. We don't you don't have to go to some conference, pay a lot of money to listen to some guru or or buy some author's book and find out what what that person has to say about church growth and and you know you know there's all kinds of interesting marketing ideas out there which you know I'm so glad we don't have to spend all this money on this stuff we have it right here so let's uh let's uh, look at the words of the living god what he says about church growth here in Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11 verse 11 where we kind of left off last week so it says Uh, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For what purpose? So that we When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading of his word and enable us to believe these truths and understand them and apply them in our lives today. So here's the main idea of this glorious text. It's quite long. I know it's verbose. Forgive me. But uh, this is a really multifaceted text. It's filled with great stuff. Here's a lot of ingredients. So here it is, that every believer is to stay close to Jesus Christ, faithfully using their spiritual gift in close contact with every believer, and that through such commitment and ministry, Christ's power will flow for the building up of the church, Whereas this text calls it, the church, the body of Christ. So in today's text, I want to show show you four ways that Jesus Christ is building his church. He's called the head of the church here. so let's look at four ways that Christ is building his church. Number one, Christ is building his church through gifted leadership. He's using gifted leadership. Four of them are uh, these different men are mentioned here in verse eleven, and we we see that Christ is the one who is equipping the leaders in his church. Now, we talked about this last time, so I'm not going into depth, but notice you you have the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherd teachers that are mentioned here. So Christ is the head. He's the one empowering. He's the one equipping the leaders. And then, then notice what happens next in verse 12, that the leaders equip then the saints. They're the ones equipping the saints. So God's plan here is for the evangelists and the pastors to be properly equipping the saints, or which is just Christians. And the notice the evangelists here are the ones who work to bring men and women to an understanding of the gospel of salvation to, to lead them to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and then thereby become children in his spiritual family and and are now citizens of his divine kingdom. In the early years of the church, the the objective was to establish a local church, right? That's what you see a lot of, like like the whole second half of the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. What's he doing? He's traveling around, and, and there were others, of course. It wasn't just him, but... He's traveling around establishing these churches, raising up the leadership in those churches. And, and so this begins the the equipping. And, and it's the, the pastor-teachers who are doing the subsequent work then, providing the leadership and the spiritual resources that are causing those believers to be taking the, the, the next steps, if you will, and growing in their Christ-likeness. How are they doing that? It's through their continual obedience to the Word of God, and then they're able to provide an example of godliness. Hopefully, <laughs> that's the—that's what's supposed to be happening. And you say, "Well, what is the most important tool for equipping the saints? Because that's what the spiritual leaders in the church are supposed to be doing—supposed to be equipping the saints." How does that happen what what is the the greatest tool in the toolbox, so to speak? Well, here it is look at second Timothy three verse sixteen says that all scripture is inspired or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching in four ways. It does four things: it's for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For what purpose? That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So there you go. There's there's the tool that the Holy Spirit gives to, to us so that uh, we would be competent, we would be equipped. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you a lot of things. But the, the first purpose of the pastor, then, is to feed himself. I don't know. That might be obvious to some of you, but sometimes we overlook the basics. You do know that pastors are also sheep just like you are. Right? Pastors are not uh some uh, uh you know, demigod or some special person that sometimes they get put on these pedestals where we don't belong. And like we're somehow different from everybody else in the congregation. No, we're just we're just sheep. We're sheep just like you. Okay, and so just like you, you need to be fed, <laughs> right? How can a how can a sheep? Uh, let's just take the farming analogy, the agricultural analogy here, right? How can a mother sheep feed her lamb or lambs if she's starving? It, it won't happen, right? Right. So how is she going to have the milk to be able to feed her babies, so to speak, if? If, if she is not being fed, it's not gonna happen. That's not a good scenario. And so all pastors need to feed themselves, so then they can feed, feed the other sheep and then lead them. So hopefully the, the, the lamb doesn't stay a lamb, right? Hopefully the lamb, as it's growing on its mother's milk, can grow up to a point where then that, that lamb can then feed itself. That's, that's the process that God's designed in the animal kingdom as well as in the Church so so we see here the the first way that Christ is building his church is through these gift the gifted leadership, but quickly moving on, I want to spend more time on the other part here is that we see that the second way is that Christ is building his church through discipleship through discipleship. That's what Jesus even Jesus himself spent most of his his time and effort with particularly three men. Well, he was here on planet Earth, right? Peter, James, and John. And then he spent a lot of time with the other guys as well, but really invested in Peter, James, and John. Now, how, how, does, how does this happen? Well, God's number one, God's plan is for equip, equipped Christians to do the work of ministry. That's what verse 12 tells us. Again, you can put your eyeballs there. It's... Uh, notice what what's the gift of leadership doing here? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not the gifted men in verse 11 who have the most direct responsibility here to do the work of service. No pastor, by the way, or or even a even a large group of pastors or evangelists can do everything that a church needs. It's not possible. Too many pastors, by the way, are getting burnt out because I think I think some some of their congregations think this way, you know. Hey, hey, it's uh, you know, pastor and evangelist. It's what we hire you and we we pay you to do it, do it all. So go burn yourself out, and many are. They're they're quitting and falling, uh, rather too quickly. So no matter how gifted or talented and dedicated a pastor may be, the the work to be done. Um, So the work to be done where he is called to minister will always exceed their time. There is not enough time in the day to do it all by themselves. They don't have all the abilities. It's not the way God designed them. Right? I mean, no no pastor is Jesus Christ. They, they, They might have one gift or maybe two gifts or three or whatever it is, but they don't have them all. So his purpose in God's plan here is not to try to meet all those needs himself, but what what does God tell the gifted leaders? To, to equip the people that are given in his care then to meet those needs. Well, obviously, the leaders share in serving, right? Church leaders are also sheep, and many of the congregations share in the equipping as well. But, but God's basic design for the church is for that equipping to be done so then the, the, the Christians, or the saints, as they're called here, can then serve each other effectively. So you're you're to be ministering to each other. I'm to be ministering to you. You minister to each other. That's the way God's designed it here. So when the gifted men are then hopefully faithful in prayer and, and in teaching the Word, uh, people are going to be properly equipped they're going to be rightly motivated to do the work of ministry or service, and so from the saints then who are equipped, God's going to, hopefully, God's going to raise up some elders and deacons and other teachers and and all the other kinds of workers that are needed for the church then to be effective and to be productive. So spiritual service is the work of every Christian. Okay, I hope you understand that. You're not to. Uh, as you're a part of the team, you're not just to be a spectator, right? So don't think of church as a uh, some sport where, you know, you just sit there and watch all these exhausted people out there, you know, killing each other and working really hard, doing the work. That's not the way church is meant to be. And second, God's plan is here. Notice it says it's for equipped Christians to build His church. You're to be building His church. Notice it's for building up, as verse 12 says, for building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a church. So proper equipping here by the evangelists and the pastors is going to lead to a proper service by the congregation that's going to result in growth, church growth. By the way, building up there, that phrase building up in your text, literally is referring to the building of a house. That's how Greeks would even use this. Building of a house. It was used figuratively of any sort of construction. So it's the spiritual edification and development of the church of which Paul is speaking here. And so the body is built up externally and internally but let's just think externally here for a moment. So so, so a body is built up externally through evangelism as, uh, more believers are added to the church. But the emphasis here in, in verse 12 is, is, um, is on being built up internally. As, as the believers in this body are nurtured, they're being fed, they're, they're being prepared, equipped, if you will, for fruitful service. And that happens through the Word of God. So in building the church here, let's think of some of the objectives because God gives you two objectives in the text. So, so in the building of the church, what is their objective? Number one, verse 13 tells us the first objective is the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith is the first objective. Now this can be confusing. So bear with me. Let me, let me explain what's going on here. So, so Back in verse 5, it talks about faith as well. But faith doesn't refer to the act of belief or of obedience. But it's talking about the body of Christian truth. It's talking about Christian doctrine here. Okay, There's a body of truth that hopefully all Christians believe. Now, the faith here is the content of the gospel in its most complete form. Right? That's what this is talking about. So, when believers then are properly taught this truth, when they faithfully do the work of service and when the body's built up in spiritual maturity here, unity of the faith is the inevitable result. That's that's the result when, when all that other stuff is taking place. Okay? So, oneness and fellowship. Remember the passages earlier we talked about, there was a lot of ones mentioned. Well, that oneness of fellowship is impossible unless it's built on the foundation of some commonly believed truths. Truth is important. And, and there has to be unity in that truth. There has to be unity in those essentials. There can be diversity in non-essentials. But in the essentials, there must be unity. And so God's truth is not fragmented, divided against itself. And so when His people are fragmented and divided, it simply means they, they are to that degree apart from His truth. They're, they're not lining up with God's truth if there's division, right? So apart from the faith of right knowledge and understanding, there, there can't be unity. Only a biblical a biblically equipped faithful serving and spiritual maturing church is gonna to attain to the unity of the faith. And that's why you've got to know the truth. That's why we have a doctrinal statement. Those things are so important. We how can we have unity if if we just say we're gonna we're just gonna love each other? Does that work very well? Love's important, don't get me wrong. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But truth is important as well. That's that's the balance. We'll we'll get more into the love side here in a moment. But notice there's that. Oh, so so objective number one is this unity of the faith, but look at the second objective. It's attaining to this knowledge of Christ. As verse 13 says. So, Paul, by the way, he's not talking about salvation knowledge here. He's talking about a deep knowledge. Uh, And this knowledge only comes through a relationship with Christ, and, it, and that, that of course, is going to come about from prayer and, and faithful study of and obedience to God's Word. How else are you going to know Christ? Is there any other way to know Christ? He's not here with us at the moment. He is coming again. He used to be here, but He's not here currently. So the only way you're going to know this Christ is through His Word, the Bible. And so after, here, here's Paul, you know, after many... Years of devoted apostleship, Paul in in Philippians, I, l- I love this passage, Paul was able to say, Hey, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, maybe you're thinking there in Philippians three, Paul, uh, I mean, you you saw Christ. Uh he taught you for like three years. Don't you know Christ? <laughs> Well, that wasn't enough for Paul. It shouldn't be enough for us either. And so Paul goes on to say, uh, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect. And then Paul says, But I press." On in order that I may hold uh, that I may lay hold of that for which also I was lay hold of by Christ Jesus, that's a good model. May I suggest that should be your model, not just paul's and so Paul prayed that the Ephesians would have that knowledge of Jesus Christ, he wanted them to grow in this knowledge growing by the way in the deeper knowledge of Christ is a lifelong process you're never going to fully get there in this life all right so so beware of pride beware of pride here beware of arrogance you're never going to get there in this life you're never going to be perfect in this life there's always something more you can learn about Christ keep pressing on as paul says in philippians 3 So growing in that deeper knowledge of Christ is a a process. It's going to be a lifelong process for you. It's never going to be complete. But one day, one day, you know know what, you remember what the Apostle John says in 1 John? It's going to happen one day. When you see Jesus again, the Bible says you're going to be made like him. So, So one day it's going to be complete. You will be glorified. That's the good news. But until then, keep pressing on. So that's a very important objective. So the unity of the faith was number one. Number two, the the knowledge of Christ. But there's a third way that Christ is building His church. And that's in verses 13 and 14. We see that Christ is building His church through a progressive maturity. One of the key words there is progressive. In other words, it's it's going to be ongoing hopefully it's growing it's not just a one time thing where you get 100% of it but you're going to keep growing it's interesting that uh, verse 13 says it's uh to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so let me let me just give you a couple points to think about here what is this maturity What does it look like? How do you get there? Well, first of all, this maturity is Christ-likeness. It's Christ-likeness. That's your pattern. That's your model. God's pattern for His church is spiritual maturity. It's a maturity to the measure of the stature here, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So God's desire for His church is that every believer comes to be like His Son. Isn't that what Romans 8 talks about? That you're to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? That's what should be happening in our lives. We should be manifesting the character qualities of the very one who is the only measure of this full-grown, perfect, mature man. So the church in the world is Jesus in the world. Hopefully you're reflecting His image to the unbelievers around you. We are to radiate and reflect Christ's perfections to those who don't know Him. So Christians are therefore called in the Bible to walk in the same same manner as He walked. You're to live as He lived. Think as He thinks. So forth. Walking complete, continual fellowship and obedience to the Father. That's what Jesus did. So to walk as our Lord walked is then going to flow... Out of a, a life of prayer and of obedience to God's word. And I love what, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18, how, how it says it. It says this. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, look, look at these words. Think of these words. We are being transformed. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. That's that progressive maturity. That's one of the best verses that can, for, for me, that explains this progressive maturity. And so as we grow into a deeper fellowship with Christ, the process of divine sanctification is happening, hopefully. How does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is changing us more and more. He's pressing us into this mold of Jesus Christ. And so my friends, believers cannot in this life fully and perfectly attain to this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In the past, there have, there have been some who have taught perfectionism, where you can attain perfection in this life. You Really? <laughs> I've never met that person. Never heard of them. I'm certainly not there. The reality is none of us are there. But hopefully we're all progressively maturing. So we must. We, we, we can reach a degree of maturity that pleases and glorifies God. It's possible. We can grow. We should be growing. But the Bible here also talks about not just maturity. It gives us kind of the other side of the coin, and Look at this. We see that immaturity is mentioned here as well. So if you're immature, you're obviously not mature. (laughs) So what does that look like? Well, verse 14 tells us that immaturity is not knowing biblical doctrine. It's not knowing biblical doctrine. So don't let anybody tell you that, that you shouldn't strive to be a theologian. Every Christian should be striving to be a theologian. You should be studying God. Striving to know him better every day of your life, every one of us should. Because here's the danger. Verse 14 says, "You you don't want to be like this this child here. You don't, as it says, no longer be uh, be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. No, you don't want to be that person, this immature person. So Paul's point, by the way, is that." is that neither the trickery of men that's mentioned here nor the deceitful schemes of the devil will mislead a mature believer how is that possible because a mature believer has an anchor for their soul <laughs> right they're not going to be tossed to and fro by waves because they got a solid anchor which in this context is biblical doctrine so it's it is spiritual children who are in constant danger here of falling prey to all the new religious fads that come our way and new interpretations of scripture that come along, right? If if you don't have a solid anchor, if you don't know biblical doctrine, and, and, and especially if you're one of these people who loves to read stuff on the internet, you're going to be all over the place. Whoa, I mean, there is uh, some, if you read internet stuff, there's a lot of wild biblical interpretations out there. And there are heaps of so-called Christian books. Every month, every month, thousands of new books are thrown at us. And a lot of them aren't very healthy. (laughs) So beware. And so, as a result, these kind of people are tossed here and there by waves of, Popular thoughts and sentiments—they're carried about by every wind of new doctrine that just comes down the internet or book or whatever it is—and and, and, uh, and so because they're not anchored in God's truth, they're subject to every sort of counterfeit truth. They're like, "Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds good," and and it might just—you know—what what they they think sounds good this week actually might disagree with what they thought sounded good last week. And you wonder, this person's all over the place. Why? They're not grounded in biblical truth, biblical doctrine. And so the biblical Christian is gullible. It reminds me of the one blonde in my class. I said, you know gullible's not in the dictionary, right? Really? It's not in the dictionary? Right? So a gullible person, you can can say all sorts of things and, and... right they're all over the place well there's a number of foolish misdirected corrupt and even heretical leaders out there to whom uh many church members just willingly throw their money in their direction right and, and give their allegiance and just it's, it's astounding to me it's and and heartbreaking heartbreaking people buying these heretical books and watch these heretical teachers on tv or listen to them who knows where it just heartbreaking poor people i've seen poor people even in third world countries i was sitting with a guy in, in even in the solomon islands the, the poor dude had no money and here he is he's listening to some heretical teacher on the tv sadly coming from the u.s oh it's heartbreaking the cause of that spiritual plight plight is really not hard to find Great many evangelists have presented an easy believism gospel. Uh, You you get guys who say you can have your best life now, really. You got pastors saying this, authors saying this, and teaching these things. You get some pastors who teach a, seems like a contentless gospel message. And in many places, the body of Christ has not been built up in sound doctrine or don't don't know what faithful obedience looks like and so consequently there's literal little doctrinal unity in some places and little spiritual maturity that's why people can get be just tossed to and fro they're not grounded they don't have a solid foundation they need to know biblical doctrine there's a fourth and last way that Christ is building his church. He's, he's building his church through loving speech and lives. In other words, he's using people. And hopefully these people have loving speech and loving lives. This is a beautiful balance here that the Bible gives us. Notice there's, there's some things that we need to be growing in. What do we need to be growing in? so we would have loving speech and lives so that we can be a, a part of this great organization called the body of Christ well number 1 the church must grow in truth the church must grow in truth that's where it starts in verse 15 so if we don't want to be deceived by human cunning or the craftiness of the deceitful schemes well what what do we what do we want to be well verse 15 says rather speaking the truth in love. So it starts here, growing in this truth. Without truth, there is no growth. And so the contrast there is with the nature and the conduct of babies that are described in verse 14. Right, You don't want to be a spiritual baby. And, by the way, children are delightful little creatures, are they not? But as if you know anything about babies and infants, as as wonderful as they are, they do have limitations, don't they? Right? You've all seen babies, at least, pictures of them. If you haven't had one yourself, you, you'll know they are very unstable little creatures, right? Uh, children can be notoriously fickle. As parents know, right? They can be interested in one thing at one moment, and you turn your back, and and it's amazing where they can go. They don't they don't tend to stay in one place very long. They're very fickle and unstable, and so they go over there, and then you're like, oh, where'd they go? Oh, they're over there. Okay. And mothers can. <clears throat> I know mothers have eyeballs all around their heads, but they're not God, and so it's easy to lose track of them sometimes, right? I won't. I won't pick on my mother. I was. I was tempted to. Uh, we all have mothers like that, I'm sure. But uh, <clears throat> babies and infants, in particular, change their minds a lot, and they can focus on something entirely different, and and then five minutes later, they they've, they're going on to some other concern. It's it's the way they are. I love how God uses that to illustrate for us that sometimes we can be the same. <laughs> Children, by the way, another thing about them is they can be easily fooled. They can be easily fooled. It's easy to, to deceive a little child. And that's why parents, by the way, have a very special responsibility for the education of their God-given children and to to give them guidance because of this truth they are easily deceived. And so, however, though, it, it it is particularly unfortunate when the same marks of immaturity mar a christian's development as well and so if the church is not to be weakened it must grow in the truth of god see we don't want to st- you, you don't you don't want your child to stay a child an infant to stay as a baby right you you want them to mature you want them to grow up and it's hopefully the same in the church we need to be growing in the truth of god and number two, the church must grow in love. Not just truth, but love as well. Because notice the text says, speaking the truth in love. And so notice, truth should not be in isolation from love. Uh, as if we only need to just bombard people with facts. Right? That, that's, think about it. Do you want to just be bombarded with facts? Without love? See we also need to speak the truth in love. And and that is part of Paul's emphasis here. And it's interesting in our English translations you may not get the full emphasis of what the Holy Spirit's trying to do here. So let me just highlight something for you. Uh, because the the original text that word truth is actually a Greek participle. It's a Greek participle. So so actually a more literal translation could be speaking Uh, Not just speaking the truth in love, but we could say it this way, truthing it in love. Because often Greek participles get translated with an ing at the end. So it's truthing it in love. So it's not so much, we tend to focus on the truth part to sometimes the exclusion of the love part. But the combination there means you're both speaking and living the truth in a loving manner. That's the emphasis. And so, my friends, what happens when you take love from truth? Just think, think about that for a moment. What happens if you take the love away from the truth? Is that a beautiful picture, or is that an ugly picture? Well, the result is a bitter orthodoxy. The, the, the truth remains, yeah, but it's it, it often gets proclaimed in a very unpleasant, harsh way manner in in such a way that the the truth is proclaimed in such an ugly way that people don't even want to listen to the truth. I'm thinking of, there's a particular uh, church in the state of Florida that loves to travel around holding up these signs, saying all kinds of nasty things, um, particularly picking on the, on the, the homosexuals, but anyway. Uh that the the way they do that is a really unloving, harsh manner. Okay? I wouldn't recommend you do that. That's <laughs> certainly not what the Bible is telling us to do here. So you you can say the right thing, but it has to be said in a loving way. And so we need to be growing in this love. Sometimes truth can sound ugly. It can be the right content, but if it if it sounds ugly. Most people aren't going to listen. So we need to grow in love. And third, the church must grow in Christ. Must grow in Christ. As verse 15 tells us. So we are to grow up in every way into Him. The head. Who's the head? Well, it tells you it's Jesus Christ. So this authentic testimony that should be lived out is going to assist believers in growing into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And by the way, notice that phrase in your Bible. It says, in every way. In every way. Let me just highlight that. In every way. That's a 100% word, every. That phrase is calling for a complete Christ-likeness. So you don't get to, in other words, you don't get to pick the areas that you like and then somehow leave the ones you don't like. No, in every way, you're to be growing in Christ. And by the way, that phrase des- describing Christ as head there is expressing his power in your life. See, he not only is the sovereign head of the universe, not only is he the ruling head, but the idea here that Paul's trying to express is he's the organic head. He's a real person. And this is a, a supposed to be a growing organization, if you will. And so human. Uh sorry. Uh he he's the idea is he's the source of power for all the functions of the church. Human beings are well, if you think about a human being in their body, uh human beings are declared officially dead when the that monitor in the hospital goes flatlining, right? What do they call them? EKGs or whatever? Is that what they're called? When that thing flatlines, it's showing no brain activity, right? It's showing the brain is now dead, and so so the doctor can then officially declare that the human body is dead. It's reading what's going on in the head. Jesus is the head. (laughs) And so as, as the brain is the control center of physical life, so... The Lord Jesus Christ is the organic source of life and power to his body, the church. And so, to grow in to his likeness is to be completely subject to his controlling power in our lives. And we're to be obedient to his every thought and expression of, of will. We have to be growing in Christ. He's the head, he's that whole source and power. But, uh, number four, the church must grow in synergy. Sorry if you don't understand that word, but I couldn't think of a better word that kind of encapsulates the whole thought process that Paul's getting there. It's really complex. But but synergy is, is this whole... What it's talking about is an intertwined cooperation. Yeah, Jesus is the head, but the head has a body. They're connected. And... And the body's living off the head, and they're working together in this intertwined cooperation. So the best word I can think of is synergy. So the body receives its authority, its direction, and its power here as it grows up in every way into the head, Jesus Christ. And notice it's it's from Him that the whole body is fitted and and held together as verse sixteen is telling us there, and so though it's interesting that your Bible uses two present passive participles there in verse sixteen, these phrases, by the way, are translate are are translated are are kind of synonymous, and and it's really meant to express this close tight function in the body, and this body is is described here as an organism. It, it's a beautiful organism, beautiful body, and and it's all happening as a result of Christ's power. Now, by the way, that does not negate the efforts of believers; they are the body, and and that's proved by the the, the phrases, by um, talking about when it's mentioning every joint supplies, and it's according to the proper working of each individual part. Those individual parts are important. They're to be connected to the head, working together. And so Christ holds that body together. He makes it function by that which every joint supplies. In other words, the joints are the joining together, if you will, where the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit are passing from one member to another member. It's providing this this channel, this pipe, this this flow of ministry that is going to uh, allow the body to grow. I mean, think about your physical body. If your joints, all your joints aren't working properly, how healthy is your body going to be? You're gonna, I know, some of you complain about your joints, right? Oh, my joints ache, especially in wintertime, right? Joints are really important. They they need to be functioning properly. If they're they're not, they're going to be cutting off all the source of energy and power that your whole body needs. So the proper working of each individual part recalls the importance of each believer's gift. Remember, we talked about each believer has at least one spiritual gift. You're to be using that for the edification of the body. And so the growth of the church, by the way, is not a result of clever methods right uh you know just because we set up a cafe doesn't mean we're immediately going to have you know a thousand people next week there's all kinds of interesting ideas on church growth out there right so you 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 know the 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 gurus tell you well you need to have a cafe and you need to have a bowling alley and you, you need to you need to have these awesome programs and these huge light light and smoke and mirror shows and then you're going to have thousands of people coming. right? It's not the result of clever methods. God's plan here is that every member of the body is fully using their spiritual gifts and they're doing it in close contact with other believers. It's a body. The body's close, right? So Christ is the source of the life and the power and the growth of the church. He's Facilitating all this through each believer's gift and the mutual ministries of those joints, like in your just take your hand. I mean, how many joints you just got in your fingers? Whew, there's quite a few there, at least at least three in every finger, right? Doing their part. It makes for a healthy finger and healthy body. So the power in the church is flowing from the Lord Jesus Christ through the individual believers. And and then, then there's all the relationships in the body of the believers. Hopefully they're connected to each other. Otherwise you're not going to have a healthy body, right? So do you see how that works? There's a head, Jesus. Without that, the body's, of course, dead. But then there's all these various members of the body, and they're all connected through various joints. That needs to be healthy. And so all that is hopefully working in synergy. Hopefully it's an intertwined cooperation. That's, the, that's God's plan for the growth of the church. And so that's, that's why there in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, the Bible tells you God doesn't want you to be uninformed. He wants you to be informed of those spiritual gifts. He wants you to know all about those things, because those are all kind of like the joints, if you will, that are connecting the body. And, and and hopefully Christ's power is flowing through all of that to make for a healthy body. Well, that's the plan. That's the model. May God enable that model to be lived out even in our local setting here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious plan. We're thankful you've given us these various ways that Christ is building His body, the church. May we understand this. Would you open our eyes to behold these wonderful things from Your Word? Uh, for, forgive us sometimes for looking at worldly wisdom and man's wisdom and the, the so-called gurus and conferences and all the other things of this world. and uh, may, may we just come to Your Word and believe what it says here. Stick to this live this out would you enable us by your grace to understand and and to be doers of the word not just hearers only so we're thankful for the great power that we have in Christ the head of the church we're thankful that we the members of the church can be a part of this glorious body may we love your body may we see how we fit in the body we use our gifts for your honor and glory and the edification of our fellow members. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.